Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are in a Dodge Charger. Uh, we just crossed the border from... <laughs> uh, if you could hear that, that is our photographer uh, enjoying the Dodge Charger. Uh, and Bob did a better job than any of us today. If you saw his Will Levis picture and some of the other stuff he did. Um, so if, if you get a chance, go look at Bob's pictures. Uh, just an incredible job from the game. Uh, this is the First Impressions Podcast. We just crossed over from Kentucky into Indiana. Uh, you guys know this. This is what we do when we have driving trips. We just do it in the in the car. Uh, we the, the the weird thing about this game, Nate, and like just kind of by way of, of opening is it, it felt to me like it was a game that the Colts both should have lost and also should have won by like three touchdowns. Yeah. It's crazy to think when they were in overtime, and of course it's it's coin flip. Who's going to win at that point? And you know they give up a field goal, then they go back down and they they win the game. It was like if they win this, it's it just such a pendulum was going to swing here. Where if they don't, if they didn't come back with that final drive and pull it out, I mean this was going to be I think probably the most frustrating loss of the season. The one that was right there in their grasp. The one that was right there that uh. They're clearly better than the Titans. We saw that in the first matchup. Even when Anthony Richardson got hurt, we saw it kind of absent, some very crazy plays that happened. And yet at the same time, you know, it was a division team that's trying to trying to play spoiler, and they almost did. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of crazy how this cold season is unfolding right now where it feels like they, they get in a lot of these kind of matchups where it feels like you can't rule them out of any game. You also can't be positive they're going to win any individual game and yet they're pulling out the majority of them because ultimately I think that's what good teams do is they find ways to win even when they you know when it when it gets dicey when they make a lot of mistakes as the Colts did today they find a way and that was uh, what that final drive kind of encapsulated to me is that all these issues that they had that day of not being able to you know hit find Alec Pierce down the field when he was open uh, not being able to finish in the red zone, uh, not being able to do a, a true clean drop back passing game. Like it all came together when it had to come together, and, and that's kind of what good teams do sometimes. Um, the Colts are now 7-5, and five, and their playoff odds at the New York Times website are up to 60%. Um, they got some losses today that helped. It, it really comes down to the, just who the Colts are playing. They don't have to play basically any quarterbacks. Even even the bad starting quarterbacks on their schedule going forward are going down. Kenny Pickett got hurt for Pittsburgh today and uh, will miss the next couple of weeks, which includes the Colts game. Um, it's We're at the point now where the Colts making the playoffs is less, uh, oh, wouldn't that be nice, and more of a, yeah, this is probably going to happen. Yeah, especially when you look ahead at, at what they have to do to get there. If they can – just handle the games where on paper you'd say they're 
they're for sure the better team would be, you know, facing the Bengals next week, uh, the Raiders. That would get them to nine, and then you know the I think it depends on what I guess Atlanta's starting to win now a little bit, but I still think with their quarterback situation and, and what that offense is up to, you'd, you'd say that's the the Colts are the better team there too. If they take care of business, they should get to 10 wins. Now, that's easier said than done because even teams that are not good, like we saw with the Titans today, you know, they, they get very hungry to, to try to pull out a game, and, and sometimes they have the type of players to really challenge a team and create those mismatches. But it does feel like because they because they pulled out the wins that they were supposed to against the Panthers, Patriots, and now the Titans, they put themselves in this, this spot where – They've kind of given us a little bit of a baseline finally to understand this team, and, and if they if they live to that baseline, uh, they should end up with nine or ten wins. Which certainly didn't think we'd be saying that back when when the year started, or especially when Anthony Richardson went down. Uh, just so there's a lot of credit to Shane Steichen and, and a lot of the star players on this team for getting them in this position. Let's get into the categories. It's the First Impressions podcast. So the Colts won today, so we will start with Hero of the Game. I will let you have the first Hero of the Game. Uh, hero of the Game for the Colts versus the Titans. I'm going with Michael Pittman Jr. So easy choice uh, in a way because he caught the, the game-winning touchdown and he finished uh, finished with, I believe he had 11 catches for 105 yards. That's his third 100 yard game of the season and it just has kind of continued what he's become for this team which is a true I think a, a real number one wide receiver I know that's been a somewhat of a debate with him over the years and it's there's there's been this, this kind of ongoing discourse about like just how good is he do we really know what will he really put it all together I think he's put it all together uh it's a story I have uh, going up on Indy Star in the morning, so by the time you guys are listening to this, it, it should be up. But pretty much laying out the the maturation process he's taken over the past year to get in this space where he is he is a consistent playmaker, despite the fact that they have a backup quarterback, despite the fact that the other team knows that he's the guy they're going through. He's found a way to uh, really with with his game day preparation and his kind of the, the intentional approach he's taken to practice over the last few weeks uh reggie wayne has really really gotten on him about that and it's and it's paying dividends now because he's just he's he really looks like a player who's hitting his prime where we know he has the jump ball skills the physicality uh but now he's mixing that with really knowing the game well and knowing opponents well and knowing how to set certain players up like he did on that game-winning touchdown that was a play where uh he he saw in pre-snap the cornerbacks kind of looking at each other, talking to each other. He knew they were going to pass it off, so he pretty much did a hard fake as if he was running an out pattern and then went straight up the field. And it was like he's got that matched up with a quarterback now because despite all the challenges this year losing Anthony Richardson, they have finally gotten a place where it's been many games in a row with the same quarterback. It's something he did not get at all last season. Uh and he's starting he's got at least enough here with Gardner Minshew to become that guy for him and today was just a day where like you know just early last week I was talking to Matt Ryan uh for a story and he said like they need to win by force feeding Michael Pittman Jr. that's that was like the recipe that's what they had to do especially with how weird the game got and how much they had to overcome 
and he stepped to the plate and he did it. Yeah, I, I think the number one argument with Pittman is kind of a moot point for me. It's just I, I, I don't think that he's ever had a quarterback that could – well, the one time he had a quarterback that I think could let him do consistently some of the stuff that people want to see him do was Phillip Rivers, and he was a rookie and he got hurt early. Um, it, the, the stuff that the, you know, the stuff that people want to see in terms of him running intermediate routes, going down the field, that kind of thing. Like, I know he's only averaging a tick over 10 yards per catch, but to me, so much of that just has to do with he's playing with a quarterback who wants to throw the ball short. He doesn't want to push it down the field. Um, and that goes into my hero of the game. My hero of the game is Alec Pierce. Uh, Pierce has taken a, a ton of criticism this season. I felt like over the last three or four weeks that he's been open a lot and not getting the ball. Um, and I, I really, honestly, I put a lot of that on the quarterback. Uh, Minshew is very risk-averse right now. Um, he, he doesn't he doesn't like to push the ball down the field. He did today, though, and Pierce caught three passes for 100 yards, including a 36-yard touchdown to start off the scoring for Indianapolis right after the Titans scored. And then the what I consider to be uh, Pittman had the game-winning touchdown catch. Uh, like, I would say Pierce's was a game-winning part B because without the 55-yard chunk play, the time was going to come become a factor for the Colts there. So two huge catches from Alec Pierce. We've been hearing from the coaches that, you know, they don't have any issues with him. They kind of pinned it on the offense, and by, by extension, they're kind of pinning it on the quarterback they have. Um, I, I Just, just a, a good game from him. And, and in big moments, too. So that, that would be hero of the game for me. Uh, that, that moves us on to villain, villain of the game. Um, I, I, I'm going to start with Jalen Jones. Jalen Jones has been very good this year at corner, uh, much better than you'd expect a seventh-round rookie to be. But he had a rough day against DeAndre Hopkins. He really did. Uh, when they matched up Hopkins against Jones, frequently it became a catch. At times it was a touchdown. Uh, that's kind of all Will Levis did outside of a couple of early scheme plays was get the ball to Hopkins. A lot of times Jones was in coverage. And here's the thing about it, though. Like, I, I don't think that this means anything necessarily for Jalen Jones long term. He's a rookie who was a seventh round pick and went up against one of the best and most veteran receivers in the NFL. So um, it's kind of an expected result. Uh, maybe maybe pump the brakes a little bit on any Jalen Jones for all pro talk. But, you know, a, a learning experience for Jalen Jones today. Yeah, I thought about this. I brought up Josh Downs. I think it was last week uh, for this type of category. It was just to point out that, like, rookies can – even really, really good rookies who hit the ground running, like, they're all kind of due for an off game because this league's hard and they're still young. And uh, at some point there's going to be a matchup that's just a little bit much for them to handle as far as – kind of where they're at in their learning process. That's what I thought it was for Jalen Jones today where I just think DeAndre Hopkins did some uh, some crafty things as a route runner, some some different double moves and whatnot that, that just shook him. It, it seemed like he played off of what Jalen Jones thought he was going to do on tape and, and he got open and he, you know, Jalen was just, just something a little bit off. Like he got there a little early for the pass interference uh, on one of those plays and so it's just one of those, like, I agree that it doesn't change anything long-term. I do think it's interesting short-term where if they can get – you hope they get Juju Brents back here soon, he's going to come back and be a starter. And I think they have kind of a little bit of a decision as to what to do at that other outside corner spot. 
I think coming into the game, a lot of people probably assumed it was going to be just Jalen Jones full-time, Juju Brents full-time. But I think today showed the risk of trusting rookies at those spots is that there is going to be a little bit of uh, up and down in their play. We, I mean, we always knew that, but it, it can become jarring in moments. And so I wonder if, you know, Daryl Baker Jr., who I think played a little better the past few weeks, I thought he was, he was pretty solid today. Uh, relative to expectation, he uh, maybe he can work into a rotation with Jalen Jones uh, at that spot. Uh, for my my villain of the game, um, gonna have to go with Gardner Minshew. Uh, we do this kind of every week. I was gonna say he's on a streak now. This is a streak of him being villain of the game. So, uh, like it's tough. <laughs> it, it's this is mostly an. Uh, you know, there's really not that many villain um, candidates this week. I, I thought about going with the run run defense, but it was almost kind of expected that Derrick Henry was was going to do some of that given given what they're missing there. Um, but I'm putting Minshew on here just for you know I, I think he deserves credit for getting it together on that final drive. Nice throw to Alec Pierce down the sideline and in timing it up with Michael Pittman when he had to make the throws he made them. So it it does feel a little weird to make that the villain, but. If they had lost, it's that would have been that would have been the storyline. Was just a few of the plays that Minshew made were just in situational. Just the situational football was was very difficult from him today. Where uh, you know he had that play the five yard line right before halftime, where he's kind of navigating a, a somewhat muddy pocket, knows he's under pressure, takes one hand off the ball, gets hit, and the ball comes out. Like it's the type of thing that like a veteran can't do he's got to know not to do that and I felt the same with the uh there's a play in the second half on third down where he looked like he could have had a lane he's scrambling could have had a lane at the first down and he sees the first down marker right there he, he kind of can time it up as, as best as possible but he slides and gives it up and they have to punt and these are just moments that the Colts came so close to losing and I think these were, would have been the plays we pointed at for the biggest reasons why if they had um again give him credit for for staying in it enough to to overcome that in the end once he you know once he got the chance to uh lead that final drive but i think more of that's a testament i think to the the team overall to keep giving him those chances to to be able to like have a comeback to be able to to write what's been a tough game that's a lot of credit goes to the colts defense for stepping up for for michael pittman jr for alec pierce uh, I really thought that, you know, I know statistically it was, it was probably Gardner's best game, uh, but and it, and it wasn't his worst game, but I, I do think there were a few plays out there that were that were a little little puzzling. That brings us to unsung hero of the game. You you, you batted second on this one, so or on the last one, so I'll let you do unsung hero first. Uh, my unsung hero is going to be Nick Cross. So, you know, Nick Cross, we talk a lot about how I, I thought they should have been playing him more before this. This was the first time that they decided to really Im, like put him in the base levels of the defense, so not just a dime package or you know fill in for a play here. He, he was rotating with Rodney Thomas the second at free safety, and it made sense for them to to finally do that because they've they've wanted a little bit more consistent play out of that spot, but also they they bring a little different skill sets that that can can matter sometimes and I thought Nick Cross 
uh, just the ability for him to cover so much ground from playing back that far to inserting himself into the run defense with his just elite, elite speed helped shore up a, a little bit of the, the run defense. It also it started to shore up some of the, the coverage busts that they were having early in that game. And really the, the play that obviously that, that gets him this for me was uh, the blocked punt. And I know you got to talk to him about how that came together, but I think he has been such a good special teamer this year after that really wasn't – he just didn't flash that way last year, even though he was playing special teams. He's, he's, I, he's, I believe he's still leading the team in special teams tackles. He was ranked – he's been ranked high in the league in that category a lot of the season. And today was the first, like, real big splash play for him in that phase where – he blocks a punt. Uh, Grant Stewart picks it up, scores a touchdown. Like I thought those two blocked punts they had in the second half were the turning point in this game, and uh, he had a heck of a play to get the first one going. He kind of underplayed um, the significance of, of the defensive snaps he played. I think it's going to be pretty um, significant when we look at it in the morning when it's up on, on NFL GSIS, the official snap count. Um, but But you could tell that it mattered to him. Uh, you know, it's been a long year and a half for him not being on the field defensively. Um, Rodney Thomas has really struggled this season, so I'm not necessarily surprised that they're trying something different there. Uh, you, it made me wonder about, you know, the, the big play-action pass on the first drive, the big Derrick Henry run. Uh, was this a plan going into the game, or was this, hey, we've, we've got to quit letting these explosives happen. Let's get Cross in there and, and see what happens. We'll, we'll find out when we talk to Gus Bradley, or maybe we won't. He, sometimes he doesn't answer that stuff, but usually he does. Um, unsung, unsung hero for me is going to be Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay is, and this is, you could give a bonus to Samson Epicon, but we gave him stuff last week. So I think the timing of Pay's two sacks today, Quiddy Pay has gotten a lot of flack, I think, for not being sort of the front line, blow guys off the edge, pass rusher. He's, he's not that guy. He's more of a hustle guy. But those sacks still count. He's at seven and a half now. And the two he had today, uh, one of them was on third down and forced, I think, the Tony Brown punt block fumble. Um, And then the the second sack he had, which was also a strip sack, happened in overtime and put the Titans behind the sticks. And with Will Levis, they just weren't doing anything. So Quiddy Pay at seven and a half sacks now. As a former first-round pick, that's he's having a, a pretty good season now. Does it does it always look super aesthetic the way he rushes? No, but I think I think listeners of the podcast know this. I am a I'll take any sacks, all sacks, however I can get them type of person. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been impressed with Quiddy all season as a run defender. I I think that gets overlooked, and, and great, it's not as important as the other part. That's not. You know, if you're a first-round pick, you have to rise above that a little bit. But I don't know that everyone realizes just how great he is at setting that edge. And he's, you know, he's, he's finding ways to sort of build a pass rush plan where he doesn't have maybe – maybe he will never be that full, you know, blow-you-away, win-around-the-edge consistently guy. But I do think as he gains experience and as he stays healthy and on the field, which has been, an, you know, an underrated part of – his story so far is it's a bit been a little bit of start and stop for him. Now that he's getting consistent game after game, he's building on these different things. And he he and I have had some some interesting conversations about just he is so he's so smart and analytical about 
building that rush plan. And I think we're starting to see it pay off in ways where, you know, in winning time and late in the game, he's he's starting to – he gets better throughout a game. And that's um, that's ultimately what you want out of your pass rushers are guys who, you know, when you get to the fourth quarter and it becomes about, you know, more about – it's a tight game and it's more about players and plays that they find a way to level up in those moments. And I thought – He's a good he's a good unsung hero because I I think the the Colts pass rush just settled this whole thing down where Colts defense looked really terrible to start the game and what really really turned around is I just thought that group stepped it up and and really got after Will Levis and made him look like a rookie after he looked pretty comfortable to start the game. Um, that brings so, us to your unsung hero. Why well, used. Oh wait, we well, already did it. Yeah, oh, we did first that. impressions podcast. That's what happens. You get is- you get issues. Uh, that brings us villain. to unsung villain. Yeah, I'm gonna go for for unsung villain. I'm just gonna go with the Colts' run defense, like I hinted at. So um, we knew that like, that's what the Titans do. They run the ball. That it's what you should do with a rookie quarterback. But Derrick Henry and and Tajay Spears, just both of them creating such a consistent one-two punch was was key for the Titans in protecting Will Levis and keeping him to just the one Will Levis only had one turnover and it was basically they got the ball right back because it was that weird super fumble play but Henry and Spears combined for 37 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns it just they got a lot of the tough yards they needed to get and they and a few a few gashing runs in there too and you know this is the last game without Grover Stewart on the suspension and so we knew that was going to be a mismatch. Uh, credit the Colts. I think late in the game they they tightened up enough on that, especially that that last defensive drive in overtime. I th- I was impressed with the run defense finally stepping up in that moment. But um, for a lot of parts today, it felt like uh, they they just couldn't make life hard enough on the rookie quarterback because they couldn't get in the downs and distances just based on how they they played first down against the run and. It's been that way kind of every game without Grover, so they'll really enjoy getting him back uh, this next week against the Bengals because uh, kind of see how much it matters when they they don't have that nose tackle and you know as great as DeForest Buckner is, teams have found ways to sort of run away from him and, and still find ways to to build a big explosive run game. So uh, that was a little bit leaky today. Yeah. The Grover Stewart can't get back soon enough. He'll be, he should be back this week. We've seen him in the locker room. They can be in the locker room uh, halfway through their suspension and kind of start getting going. Uh, that's that's obviously a good unsung villain. Unsung villain for me is Zach Moss. Um, just not a lot of yards that weren't there from Zach Moss today. Um, you know, he, 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 they, they didn't really have a run game. I, I saw a lot of people – in the second half asking why aren't we running the ball more well the answer was they were awful at it they were truly terrible at running the football today and you know that's Shane Steichen was trying to win the game and so they they didn't do it It, it's the first game back since they lose Jonathan Taylor um and obviously that's gonna be tough I thought Jonathan Taylor's playing really well Zach Moss just didn't he didn't really grab the bull by the horns in this game the way he had for in the first the first time he had to take over Taylor, so it'll probably get better. Um, that's a good front for the Titans. Maybe their their stats don't necessarily match it all the time, but I think they were they were definitely top ten in rushing yards per carry against. Nineteen carries for fifty one yards for Zach Moss, just two point seven yards per carry. Um, 
that's a bad, pretty bad number. What's so. crazy is they ran the ball 23 times, and the longest run was five yards. You almost never see that. Number of the day. That's number of the day. Did you jump on number of the day early? No, it's we're at number of the day. Yep, that's my number of the day. That's a good <laughs> one. That's a good uh, one. It's you crazy just, to see like, a long of five when you run it, you know, 23 times. And um, we knew they weren't going to have the most explosive run game with Al Jonathan Taylor, but – yeah, I expected something more than that, and it's also telling just to, to sum up where they are with that run game that he's the only running back that got carries. So, uh, uh, my number of the day is fifteen point six. That is the number of yards per catch for Alec Pierce, the receiver that everyone loved to hate earlier this season. Uh, he is doing his job. He does not have quarterbacks that he does not have a quarterback that can regularly hit him. We saw some of the issues with that on the one deep ball they missed today. Maybe Minshew plays a little better uh, down, as they go down the stretch here and he gets more of those catches. But he he is making big plays. People talk about it like he's not making any. He, he is on a per-catch basis. It's just a lot of it lately has been them not them not getting it. This, this brings us to the interlude. This is the fun stuff. Uh, game day observation. This might be the meanest game day observation I've ever done. I'm just going to say it. But I don't have a name attached to it, so it feels a little less mean. Uh, when I was on the field getting ready to shoot my uh, get ready to shoot first and Joel for Fox 59 and CBS 4, uh, I was just kind of watching the Titans warm up, and you know the the players warm up and there's there's staffers and stuff that are helping catch. Uh, the guy catching punts for the Titans punter who actually had a very bad day. Uh, maybe it was this guy's fault. Uh, he dropped every other punt. Wow. He couldn't catch punts to save his life. I was like, if, if this is what you're assigned to do for the pregame, it was he it was awful. Um, <laughs> the ball was bouncing around everywhere. Like he's probably losing reps. It, it it was not good. I I like I said, I don't know him. I don't want to call him out too much. I've just like a lot of those guys don't necessarily look like athletes, and then they catch everything. Um, this guy actually looked like he was pretty in shape, and he just he just couldn't read a punt to save his life. Wow, I. Yeah, I, I don't get to go down before the game, so I did not get to see that show. I, I was not from the press box keying in on that part of it. So uh, <laughs> that's that's funny though. Because uh, everyone can have an off day, and today was was his off day. What if it's uh, not his off day? Or if it's not his off day, then boy, <laughs> it's like you, you like to say, "Don't quit your day job," but if that's his day job, he needs another one. He can be transitioned. They can move him into like a different part of warming up the players <laughs> that's true something well, with something that involves less hands and reading yeah. of what are eating of footballs yeah um since you went with a a kind of kind of negative one i guess i'll match that that energy level with uh i i just thought the crowd today was interesting like I mean, ooh, I like this. We're gonna get a Titans <laughs> fan shot. Let's go. Fo- football fans are always, you know, always going after refs, and I and I get it. And I mean, Colts fans have done it. You know, they had reason to against the Browns today, though. There were two moments that they were very viciously sort of booing, and there was a chant that's like, "Refs, you suck." That uh, that was going around, and for moments that like had nothing to do with the officials, really. Like, there's nothing that they are allowed to do differently in those moments. One of them was the play where the punter got hurt, which was hard to watch, and, and you feel for him for sure. And then all the Colts players did. They were down on a knee. and I'm, But, like, a lot of booing that the refs didn't do something about that. But, like, technically in the stat 
book, that's not even a blocked punt because he didn't kick the ball. The ball didn't – like Tony Brown didn't touch the ball. He just – it didn't even get to that point because Tony Brown came through so cleanly and then – and and did what he – you know, what you're supposed to do. If the guy's got the ball, you you got to – he's like a runner. you got to tackle him. So there's, there's nothing to call on that when you didn't – if you didn't punt the ball, you can't rough – you can't. It can be roughly the punter if you're not a punter, and in that situation he wasn't. And then there was another one of those where uh, they didn't. You know, there was a, a the rule where in the final two minutes, if there's a fumble and the uh, offense recovers, you know, the ball's got to go back to the original spot. Like that's that's just an NFL rule. There's no other way for them to call it. Uh, it just was interesting that like I do think that like I thought Titans fans had some legitimate beef on other moments in this game. There was a uh, play where Nick Cross may have interfered in the back of the end zone. Uh, they didn't call. There was an offsides, key offsides that they missed. So, like, those plays would have made sense for the – at least I would have understood kind of the approach. This was like th- – there's nothing <laughs> There's nothing else for the refs to do in these moments, and I think it just kind of shows uh, – you know, it just kind of shows the emotions, especially for a team that, uh, you know, they're, they're not having the season, obviously, that they wanted, and uh, – it just kind of felt like they were taking it out on the officials in, in some interesting ways. Please send all angry emails about calls going against the Colts to Nate Atkins. That was Nate Atkins talking about the refs. It was not Joel Erickson. Also, I think when I put this put this episode on X Twitter, I'm going to say Nate Atkins rips Titans fan to shreds. And I think our listens will go up. Okay, well, then you also have to <laughs> out yourself for ripping Jacksonville so all of Jaguars Twitter can come after you. I, I think they know. I just don't think they care very much. Uh, I'll give one game day observation, just a quick one. That was the the tw- I think it was a twelve year old that was singing the national anthem. Dude was phenomenal. Oh, that was awesome. But and here we go with the negative again. Don't do a flyover at the end of the national anthem. You took the guy's like best note away from him. Yeah. I didn't want to hear a jet there. I wanted to hear this gorgeous voice, incredible strong voice, finish the song. Like that's the part they build towards. Um. This is this is this is maybe the second most mean we've ever been to a city. The definitely the meanest is Jacksonville. Um, that brings us to uh, yeah. Well, I can match one more for that. Okay, then. okay, um, another mean one. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> just kind of funny to me. Like, I mean, Derrick Henry's had a great career, and I think as he goes along, oh, this will, is super petty. He will have a you know he'll have a lot of accolades that are worth celebrating. It was <laughs> kind of odd to me that they put him on the video board with a big stadium announcement for tying for 16th in rushing touchdowns very very just random moment to celebrate like i don't know like it wasn't a round number of touchdowns it was like 85 and it was not around it's not like he reached 10th it was i don't know it just to me it kind of summed up the season that the titans are having which is not a ton to celebrate definitely posting this to x twitter with nate atkins hates the titans uh (laughs) Three football things that gave me joy. Uh, number one, uh, just the the reverse flea flicker the Colts ran. Uh, I, I I love the reverse part of it. I think the part I loved most about it though is that a lot of times flea flickers, if there's two things going on, it takes a long time, and they did it on the short side of the field, and it was super tight, and there was a a handoff and a flip, and then another flip, really fast, and so it didn't give the defense a chance to go oh, there's a flea flicker happening. The other thing I liked about it was 
the secondary option on the play was another vertical route from Kylan Granson. That's who the ball went to. They were waiting. They were watching Alec Pierce, but there's this tight end slipping out on a wheel route for a huge yardage. Just really love the design of that reverse flea flicker and the speed of it, kind of the details of the play. Uh, just a really fun play to watch and then watch again and watch again until the next play started. Shane Seikens got something every week, and this was his latest wrinkle, and it's just impressive how well they execute these plays because I've seen you see other NFL teams that run some plays like this, and it's sometimes like the like they they went too far, like the the idea is too big for them, and it never feels that way for the the plays that Shane Seikens rolling out, even though they're very creative. So I like that, and this is where I will make up a little bit to Titans fans because uh, one play that gave me joy was the the Will Levis. Uh, helicopter smash in the air that that Bob Shear our photographer got a wonderful photo of uh that like just, just such a cool football play especially for the fact that it didn't get anybody hurt that he kind of goes up over the contact a little bit slams down on the ground and then immediately pops up and it's a first down and it's like to me this Titans team is they've had a tough year obviously there's not a lot across that roster to get super excited about as far as the future guys who are younger um, you know we don't know what Will Levis will be he had certainly had some up some down moments today too some but as, but as far as yes uh, <laughs> but, but as far as like a guy that we talk about like a guy you can rock with and, and that's kind of what I wish that, that Gardner Minshew had done on his his scrambles why why I got on him for that is that like that's that's what teammates love so much. And I just remember when we were, uh, you know, we were tracking the quarterback search when the Colts were, we didn't know who the Colts were going to draft. And I went to Kentucky. That was the thing that everybody you could possibly talk to there would bring up about Will is just like the dude wants it as badly as anybody and will like go to war for, for everyone around him. And I thought that play kind of encapsulated that. When you send your emails to Nate Atkins, please point out that you noticed that he wants the Colts to have Will Levis instead of Anthony Richardson. <laughs> Joel is just really making me sound great today. <laughs> uh, number two football thing that gave me joy. Uh, I was talking to Nick Cross about his his block punt, and he said <laughs> he said number one. So he wasn't the, the way the the punt block was designed. It, he wasn't supposed to come free. Grant Stewart on the other side was the one who was supposed to come free, and this surprised Cross so much that he said his first two thoughts were on the play were, "Damn, I'm free." <laughs> and then the second thought was, I'm really close to the punter. <laughs> and, you know, he smothered it with his stomach. I just, like, there's an elemental part of football that, you know, if you haven't played in a while, like, you, there's these weird thoughts that go through your head in split seconds. It was just really fun to hear him say, like, I was just super surprised twice uh, <laughs> on the same play to get the block punt. Just kind of a fun window into what his brain was doing while he was, while he was making one of the biggest plays of the game. <laughs> Uh, another football thing that gave me joy was just uh, a play and really the day for Taekwon Lewis. So he just had an amazing edge set late, that, I think, in overtime uh, where he oh, that forced, was a great play. Yes. forced the hold where he just really, really shot the edge so so far that he had to get held and still affected, like still got his, his arm around the ball carrier while being held. Uh, just, just an absolutely awesome play. And he had a few of those edge set moments and I talked to him afterward and he just said he just had to match up tons of film study with the way that game was going they got you know they got so many plays because it went into overtime that 
he really got to like learn the matchups he was facing. He said that guy was kind of holding all day <laughs> that he was going against. So he thought on this play and this this their tendency was to run Henry there. Uh, he was gonna just shoot the gap and like he he's got a you know, Tyquan Lewis is like a he's sort of a jack of all trades. He plays inside, he plays outside. He uh, he's he he's sort of a, a glue guy in a way that like for him to be able to for him to make a play like that he's got to really see it know it believe it and that confidence right now is is just fun to see for a guy who two straight years uh, had the same super unlucky injury uh, with his patellar tendons and I just remember a year ago wondering like what's what's next for Tyquan Lewis like this was not going very well for him physically and he was just so happy today to be the guy that uh one of the guys that helped make this happen coming back from all of that and you know he's also a guy that went through so many losses against the titans over the years that have frustrated when they lose in the trenches and you you wear that personally today for him to to have like a winning play like that uh was fun to see third and final football thing that gave me joy today there was a sequence where zaire franklin got booed by the fans for uh, tackling Derrick Henry at the legs, and he did. I will say this: he did twist on the ankle, but, but, Derrick Henry was still trying to go somewhere. And uh, as as somebody who, a long, long time ago when I played football, was a smaller person who had to tackle bigger people, the legs are a good place to hit them, if you are a small person. I wish more. Uh, and Zaire Franklin is not a small person, but he in this scenario he needed it. Uh, like, I, I sometimes I wish that more players would not hit high and hit low and wrap up because you can't run without your legs. It's very simple. Cannot run without your legs. Uh, and then the next play, there was a, a ball uh, into the flat, and the ball didn't get caught, and Franklin just absolutely laid the wood on the intended receiver. And I, I just – I know it wasn't the best day for the run defense. Probably wasn't the best day for Franklin overall, but just – that piece uh, that he brings to the defense, that nastiness, it's important. And like as I've pointed out before on this podcast, he's really good at walking the line and not getting himself in trouble. Yeah, speaking of tackling Henry and going low, there, Kenny Moore had a few of those that were just super impressive. Like he, he's had a lot of matchups against Derrick Henry, and it's like <laughs> Derrick Henry has some famous clips in this league of guys who wanted to go high and just ragdolling them and it's like Kenny and Zaire and just really the whole defense kind of they they kind of knew the formula today and I thought the way they tried to tackle was was pretty impressive uh football thing that gave me joy though was Michael Pittman Jr.'s game-winning touchdown and he catches the ball he kind of slides down he hops right up and he's just in full adrenaline mode and he said his thought he grabs the ball and he wanted to chuck it into the stands like throw it right back to the fans that uh, that that his team hasn't often beat, but finally got it done today. He says first thought was I I don't know whether this fine will be six thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, and then he just said I I don't care either way and just chucked it into the stands, and it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a fitting moment of where he's come where like he doesn't even have to he doesn't have to worry about that side of stuff very much anymore. Like he's going to be that receiver that gets that huge payday and there's a little bit of release in him right now of like this is this is really fun right now the stress of the pressure the a lot of that has has just turned positive for him and I thought that the chuck of that ball into the stands was like a a kind of a moment he's been 
waiting for for like a year and a half and it's here now that brings us to the finishing categories the the more serious ones uh too much credit too little credit uh for this one colts won today so too little credit too little credit for the colts winning the game today um hmm. you have one i'm kind of thinking about this oh uh brian mason the special teams coordinator that they got from, he's from Zionsville. He was at Notre Dame last year. Had seven seven punt blocks at Notre Dame last year. He has, honestly, I, I'm just going to be honest, this is why I'm saying too little credit. I felt like, I have felt at times like the coverage and return units of the Colts have taken a step back in the first year without Bubba Ventrone. Until today, when his punt unit, his punt return unit had a very Bubba Ventrone type day. Uh, you think about you know, we were talking about this with Bob on the way out of the stadium. How rare it is that to see a block punt in an NFL game, and how much, how much, how it's even more rare to see the team come out the next time and essentially have another blocked punt. Uh, and both of them were schemed up very well. I'll run them through really fast. Uh, the first one, they put four guys on the left side of the line against three blockers. It's just a numbers game. Cross ended up going through. If they if the outside guy moves in and hits Cross instead of Shagu uh, Alobi on the outside, uh, it's probably not a block punt. But they overloaded it. It worked. The second one, the Titans do this thing where they motion one of their gunners. And the Colts use that to have their vice. T Tony Brown is a vice. That means he's the one, one of the guys who blocks the gunner. Um, when they went in motion, he just didn't go with. And he's been begging for a chance to do a corner blitz. And you can see, if you go back and watch it, that there's another player from behind, the Colts player that comes out to, to make sure that there's somebody on that, that gunner. And just absolutely, like he was in so fast. He said, he actually was kind of laughing about it in the locker room and said, I got there early. Uh, because he did, like at, the, at that point, I think his name is Ryan Stonehouse, is that right? Yep. Uh, he was still a runner. Um, and I feel, feel bad for Ryan Stonehouse, clearly a very bad knee injury. Um, but not it's not nothing like you, like you said earlier nothing tony brown did yeah i'm gonna i was just looking through this i'm gonna go with uh kylan granson he had three catches for 72 yards and oh, this only, is a good one he only had three targets so he caught all three it's just really efficient day at a 46 yarder and he also had a fourth down conversion where they decided to give him the sort of like a h back quick handoff uh while the Titans were just going to stuff the middle of the line, and that was kind of a key play at that point in time to kind of keep in that game uh, when the Titans kind of had gone up early. Uh, so Kylan Granson, like, there have been a lot of games here where it's like it just feels like the tight ends don't have production. And today, you know, for him to only get three targets but to turn that into 72 yards is uh, quite impressive. He had a really nice catch of what I thought was probably a badly thrown ball and not a back shoulder on his second long play. Uh, I also thought I want to. I really like the design of this, so I'm going to go through it real fast. Uh, on the fourth down conversion, I'm pretty sure the the Colts were tackle over because Blake Freeland was over by Bernard Ryman. And usually, when you do that, you're going to run behind those tackles. What the Colts did instead was they sent a tight end who never carries the ball the opposite way. So you, you got that defense's eyes all going one way. They send the player back the other way. It wasn't a great game. They had to measure it. Still got the first down. So really enjoyed that. That leaves us with um, 
that leaves us with one to throw away and one to go on. When we always start with one to throw away, something that we're talking about after this game, it will not matter the rest of the five games down the stretch as we get to the playoff push. Uh, hmm. uh, well, I guess the easy one will be that uh, the Colts have a terrible run defense because there's some help coming. His name's Grover Stewart, and he's going to be back this week. And he's a very important player, and obviously if they lose him, it would change. But uh, knock on wood, all, all hopes are that he's, he's back, and he's back to being Grover, and I think uh, we'll see that difference pretty pretty quickly. It's it's just such a, such a unique role at nose tackle that they're not at all filling without him, and they, they're not real sure where to go, that just he – he feels so well because, you know, he he he's just so he just creates so much penetration. He's he just big gets in the and backfield, angry. and he just like when when you have that next to to DeForest Buckner, and they can't like it's like either guy they double, they're leaving the other one to just wreck them. Like it it's going to make a big difference, and so I don't think that necessarily is, you know turns the run defense elite. Like there's a few other things that they're they're going to work work through, but I think it'll it'll take it from being a weakness to something we don't really talk about one to throw away i i'm not i'm not this is a little bit of a of a differing opinion from from nate i apologize for that uh i'm not ready to pull the plug on jalen jones quite yet over daryl baker i think we've got a longer track record with jalen jones and a lot of it was against deandre hopkins who's like top 10 smart receivers in the nfl so I thought I thought Daryl Baker had a decent day today. I just I kind of want to see it happen maybe another game or so before we. And also I also think maybe this is one to go on. Maybe I'll uh, one to go on for me is at this point. I thought Juju Brents played very well when he was in the lineup earlier. Five weeks of absence. I don't know if we should be expecting Juju Brents to be a number one corner right off the bat. If that makes sense, not not because I don't think he has the potential just because he hasn't played in more than a month yeah it's just been a really tough year for him on health I mean you had the wrist surgery uh they knew that when they drafted him but you know it slowed a little bit by that and then two different hamstring issues and then now you have this quad injury and they're, they're just all three injuries have kind of in their own way lingered a little bit a little bit more than than they thought they would so um, I don't. I don't know what that means long term. Hopefully, it's just a weird run of bad luck for him this year because uh, he did show some nice upside. But like you know, you do have to be on the field to uh, to make these things happen. Um, Can't make the club in the tub. Exactly. Reggie but Wayne loves to say the, that. Is what Reggie Wayne loves to say all the time. Um, let me see here. No pressure, but this is the last thing anyone will say in a category for this podcast. <laughs> Uh, one to, one to, this is one to go on. Yep, one to go on. One to go on. Um, I think there's going to be some run game struggles for the Colts until they get Jonathan Taylor back. Uh, so I don't expect a game where they have a long of five again. This was really a, a kind of low, low, low performance for them, but. I do think that like Zach Moss is he's had a really 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 nice year uh, certainly compared to what we you know what we expected out of the backfield this year but at some point his style his um, you know, very bruising between the tackles type 
seeking contact runner. Like there's going to be some diminishing returns to that if he's got to be the whole backfield, and that's what he was today. I mean, they gave 19 carries to running backs, and all 19 went to Zach Moss. And I noticed like they had, you know, Trey Sermon in there for one play. They threw a pass to him that went off his hands, was almost intercepted. Uh, there's just like a not a lot of trust in really any trust in backs that are not Zach Moss right now. And so they're putting a ton on a guy who is a good player for sure. I think he can be a starter in this league, and he's came into the game top ten in rushing. But I don't know that I don't know that it's set up right now for him to be this be like what we thought Taylor could be, which is the bell cow, the guy that you just give the ball all the time. The guy's just going to make things happen when it's really, really difficult. I think he'll do some of that the way that he um, he can create yards after contact, the, the way he finishes some runs. But that also, you know, there's, there's a wear and tear to that. And so I think we're going to see as we get late in the season a little bit of the, a little bit of the rent due on him, uh, the way that he's run, the way that they've leaned on him. It's been tremendous that he's done this, but, like, I don't think that, like, the, the Baltimore game, he did that in, like, week three where he just really carried the load and kept coming back, coming back from injuries or little nicks and bruises. I think that expecting that right now is a little unrealistic. So uh, if Jonathan Taylor can, you know, they hope he can get back soon, but I it does, you know, I, I could see that injury – lingering a little bit and us talking about this uh this some of the run game issues a little bit more that has been the colts first impressions podcast uh we are almost back to the indianapolis area we are going past a rest area near taylorsville i think hopefully by the time you're listening to this we will not still be in taylorsville that would be very bad uh the colts are now seven and five they play the cincinnati Bengals. cincinnati Bengals uh do not have joe burrow they have Jake Browning, I believe. I actually don't know. Well, the Bengals play tomorrow, play on Monday night, so they still have Jake Browning. Um, it'll be another game where the Colts are going up against backup quarterback, and they've got to take advantage of it. For the Indy Star, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins on the I-65 version of the Colts Cover 2 First Impressions pod. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.